This episode is brought to you by The Skeptical Buddha, The Tao of Science. My book, which is a thoughtful discourse on Eastern philosophy and how it helped birth ideas required for science and skepticism and the way it fell behind in the face of new evidence. This book discusses the long history of both philosophies as well as the tenets and variations within the varying sects along with psychology and our own natural biases. It discusses how to counter our natural biases using science and the underlying concepts of meditation and mindfulness, a more complex understanding of how science operates than most of the public understands, and why it is the best tool we have to discover truth and reality, as well as philosophical ideas we might embrace as technology progresses. The material is packaged in a way that the average person can understand with rich illustrations to draw the reader in and feel at peace. Welcome to After School Democracy, the podcast that attempts to fill in the gaps you almost certainly missed in school about politics, economics, and history. For a while, especially before Russia invaded and many of their trolls were bumped from social media, you would see a lot of people calling for left-wing accelerationism, aka don't vote, don't engage in politics as a leftist, because as Lenin said, it's a privilege of the bourgeois, not actually for the proletariat. Never mind that that phrase was taken drastically out of context, and he wrote up a majorly important article begging for his fellow leftists to turn out and vote in the first Duma election, which was boycotted by the rest of the party, and they suffered for it. Leftist accelerationism is an idea that if Republicans get more and more powerful, things will go so bad that there will be a proletariat uprising that will overthrow the bourgeois class, so if Bernie doesn't win the primary, don't bother voting, both parties are equally bad. Sadly, because neither the rise of the Soviet Union nor the rise of fascism are taught in schools, most of them think that the proletariat revolution will happen spontaneously. This is not remotely the case. Rubas explains in a video below how Hitler came to power with less than one-third of the vote, and the Revolutions podcast on Russian Revolution, which I think should be required reading for anyone who claims to hate communism and for anyone who claims to be a leftist, so they can see what actual communism was supposed to look like and what extenuating circumstances led to essentially Stalinism, some of which I discuss in my 10-part series, What the heck is communism. This is a serious oversimplification that I will explain both the differences between the Russian Revolution and the Nazi takeover of power and why in America today left accelerationism is just a way right accelerationists trick lefties from having any of their voice heard in power to ensure a right-wing takeover as the Supreme Court just showed last week. First we shall start with the Russian Revolution and why it worked at first at least. Revolution in Russia started on the French model of the monarch dragging his feet and slowly giving some concessions to the people to have some representation. The lords and bourgeois wanted a Duma, or representative democratic body, but the Tsar instead instated a Zemstva, which was just a collection of people with no political power, but could be the Tsar's eyes and ears making suggestions on what the people actually wanted. After the failure of the Russo-Japanese War, the Tsar capitulated to allow for a constitutional representative democracy. This body was the Duma. After the first year, the left finally got on board and didn't boycott, and the left took way more seats and representation than was expected. This led to gridlock, and the Tsar was now able to paint the Duma as ineffective and weak, and basically seized most of its power going back to the mostly Zemstva model for the Duma. During World War I, however, things got desperate and basic order collapsed as insurrections and strikes filled both the military and the working class. Just like how MLK didn't just magically come out of nowhere and get the Civil Rights Bill approved, 
The same was true for Lenin. The fight for black liberation and education was a centuries-long fight, and the NAACP had half a decade of fighting, organizing, and educating till the political wins and change in technology for public information and education were right and MLK was able to direct it in the right way. The same is true with the Russian left. Basically, once the serfs were freed in 1861, they moved to cities and became proletariat factory workers, and seeing all the problems with capitalism that Marx and Engels had pointed out, began secret reading circles with smuggled books and began working on some form of resistance. Some used education and organizing, while some used assassination and terrorism. The czars of the time made Lenin look like a nice guy with a number of people they imprisoned and killed, which is why there wasn't nearly as much anger and resentment about it, except with the more left-leaning purists and the white army. It took 60 years to get to the point via education and resistance, and that education had to all be in secret, and once World War I started going disastrously bad and supply chains broke down, the local areas instead started setting up their own Soviets. For those who don't know, because I sure didn't, a Soviet was a local workers, peasants, or military enlistees council with direct continual democracy, or that's what it was supposed to be. This was an idea supported by both Marx and the anarchists, and they would send delegates to directly convey their wishes of their local Soviets to a larger Soviet council. This created a dual power system that allowed an alternative to the Duma when Tsar Alexander finally stepped down after completely bungling World War I. This led to a transitional Duma that was set up to stand in until they could get a committee together to write a new constitution. In the meantime, the Duma had full legitimacy, but essentially no power, while the Soviets had most of the power, but no legitimacy. The right-wing socialists, such as the Social Democrats, Mensheviks, and the SRs, took a much stricter orthodoxy of Marx that the bourgeois revolution must come, build up infrastructure and education, and then and only then could the proletariat revolution rise up. This is what Vietnam is currently doing, but with very heavy protections of unions, and in their constitution, they will supposedly be transitioning to a bottom-up, direct democracy communist government starting in 2050. The Bolsheviks, on the other hand, followed Trotsky's theory of continual revolution, where the proletariat could control and guide the industrial revolution, allowing for the bourgeois class to exist for a time, to build up education and infrastructure, and once that was complete, scale down the bourgeois until they became part of the proletariat too. Letting the liberals steer the industrial revolution would just lead to late-stage capitalism, and they could prevent a bloody second revolution if they just controlled and regulated capitalism so it wouldn't have all the bad things that came with it that Marx predicted. The provisional government, of course, ended up bungling the war, along with narrowly evading a right-wing coup from its leader, who also happened to be a social democrat, Kerensky, who then unilaterally created a pre-parliament packed with people loyal to him to be in power till the constitution was written, and since the right-leaning leftists had supported the provisional government, people became disgruntled with them and shifted loyalties to the Bolsheviks. Once that happened, as neither government was now legitimate, the Bolsheviks, who made up maybe one-third of the Soviets, if they had an election at that moment in time, then had a military uprising and declared power to the Soviets and abolished the pre-parliament. They then allowed for a legitimate election to the new Duma, but when they didn't win as much as they would like and were facing potential charges for their former coup, now that they didn't have a majority in the Duma, Lenin just abolished and nullified the Duma. 
This, among other things, such as bungling the end of the war and Trotsky giving an order to kill any Czech fighter after a misunderstanding, of course led to the Russian Civil War, the bloodiest of all civil wars up to that point. Due to the war and poor education of the nation, Lenin, instead of allowing the Soviets to continue to have direct democracy, instead consolidated power by enacting not just representative, but double representative democracy, where the people would vote for the Soviet delegate, who then appointed government leaders to do the actual government leading, which of course led them to entrench power and prevent anyone from running that they didn't approve of. Lenin received a ton of criticism from the other socialists, especially those outside the nation, but then the worst thing happened where Lenin banned unions, other parties, and other factions in the party, effectively giving himself total power, had a stroke, and Stalin, a former bank robber for the cause who pulled off the biggest bank robbery in history up to that time, to the point that laundering the money took up to a decade, finagled his way in government to claim to speak for Lenin and give him the power instead of Trotsky, who Lenin said should be leader and Stalin should under no circumstances become party leader. Trotsky became a huge proponent of bringing back democracy and free speech once he lost power. Had he gotten party leadership instead of Stalin, would he have given it to the people? It's not that likely, but who knows, and he did do his share of mass killings. Because Lenin allowed party members to get seriously great perks, it drew some of the most power-hungry, greedy, and corrupt people into the party who probably helped Stalin gain support and power. This kicked off the communism that we all know today, or Stalinism, which was a form of dictatorial state capitalism and nothing even remotely resembling communism. But calling it that was useful to Stalin and the right wing in the US to paint all socialism as equal to dictatorship. Stalin then demanded that all nations, the West deemed communist, even if they weren't, establish a similar dictatorial state capitalism if they wanted to get aid or trade. The only major nations to avoid this were Yugoslavia, which was somewhat dictatorial, but also was able to trade with the East and West, Cuba, which arose under Khrushchev after or during de-Stalinization, and Vietnam and Laos, who were just constantly fighting a war for independence until roughly 1980, when they were embargoed for 12 years by China and the U.S because they dared take down China's ally, Pol Pot, who massacred 1.5 million of his countrymen in an insane idea that everyone should be 100% the same and have the same experience of farming and new ideas were bad. America was just really ticked off at Vietnam at the time, so they completely backed Pol Pot as well. St. Reagan, the anti-communist, backed the communist genocidal leader who is now used as a right-wing talking point as to what happens if you have communism or atheism. The rise of Nazism shows an entirely different view where acceleration can take you where you have no dual power structure or hyper-organized structure providing needs like the Soviets did. The Weimar Republic Constitution was set up creating a government so unstable that they had three general elections in one year. It was a great idea ideologically, but terrible in practice to the point that apathy and exhaustion set in and voting numbers dropped off. Prior to World War I, the working class united at the Second International and all agreed to not engage in the war because this was a matter of the rich and had nothing to do with the average person. However, at the same time, the left found itself able to get into elected power and feared persecution for failing to be loyal, something that happened to socialist presidential candidate Eugene Debs, who ran for office from prison for telling people not to support the war. The right-leaning leftists, the Social Democrats, ended up breaking with left-wing leftists and fully supported the war just as what happened in the provisional government and Soviets in Russia. Because of this, after World War I and under orders from Stalin, if they wanted aid as well as the fact that the Social Democrats a decade ago had organized the Fry Corps and brutally crushed and killed German communists, after seeing their Social Democrat Russian counterparts get utterly obliterated in the October Revolution, 
elected communists in Germany refused to work with the Social Democrats and could have had a majority several times had they worked together. They also believed in an early, very limited form of accelerationist theory as well, but that's because they assumed the next election was just a few months away anyway. No one ended up getting an outright majority after many elections, and so the conservatives cut a deal with Hitler that he could be chancellor, never winning more than 27% of the vote, thinking they could control him. Hitler ended up seizing power by having a personal army of street thugs or brown shirts threatening his political rivals and then most likely starting the Reichstag fire, then blaming it on the communists. And since fascism is a cult of being so anti-communist that you can literally call anyone who doesn't agree with you a communist, the Social Democrats got swept up too. The Freikorps, who were created by the Social Democrats, was made up of mostly conservatives who also fought to help Hitler crush freedom a decade later. Even then, he still didn't have enough votes to change the constitution and sicked his brown shirts on anyone who wouldn't cave, threatening their friends and family's lives until they broke. These are the differences between how the left succeeded at first in Russia and failed utterly in Germany. They both had the same amount of time to educate the population about leftism and get at least one-third of the workers on board. And they also had a dual power structure to provide for the people because the provisional government was so useless. There's a reason why Nixon cracked down on civil rights groups, especially the Black Panthers, and spent more to bust them than busting the actual mob. Black Panthers were essentially creating their own Soviets after the federal and state governments completely abandoned them, providing school meals and other basic needs communities of color desperately needed. The only real reason why Nixon moved to finally allow blacks to have access to welfare programs was specifically to dismantle the need and loyalty for these de facto Soviets. The left in Russia never had accelerationist thinking, that was a horrible idea. They broke the law to get money to fund them, but they didn't think about making things worse for the average person to ensure that they could take power. The left in Germany did, but only in thinking about the next election, not about long-term collapse, and it just allowed fascists to come to power as fascists play the long game and the rules don't apply to them, just as with the American right. They played the long game and broke all precedent, but following the rules, and now Roe vs. Wade is gone, which will kill thousands thanks to short-term anger at politicians. So knowing that, why is leftist accelerationist theory just a gift to accelerationist fascists in the modern era? First off, the education base of support isn't there. Last count in around 2020 showed that only 8-15% to of Americans can consider themselves some form of leftist, the same percentage of people who claim the moon landing was fake. The House on Un-American Activities Committee and COINTELPRO did a great job of purging anything about Marx from the American psyche, giving us a kindergarten straw man version of what Marxism and socialism is. Both Germany and Russia had 60 to 70 years to educate and propagate their ideas. Mind you, this was in secret, but they still had ideas ingrained, but not the stigma of evil in American minds created by equating it with Stalinism. The same study showed that 52% of Americans utterly fear socialism or any form of leftism. The work is cut out for you to educate and kill some of that ingrained fear and stigma first. The left has had maybe a decade that started with Occupy Wall Street. At this point, their best shot is a decade from now if they can build sufficient networks and educate sufficiently even with the internet. Secondly, when things started going to crap, revolution didn't just suddenly happen. Soviets first had to be created and organized and give the left legitimacy and be a dual power structure. So the three-step method is things get bad, build a dual power structure, and three, revolutions. Most Western leftists are missing step two, like the underpants gnomes, and have no idea there is a key missing step they could easily be doing right now, and many on the ground anarchist groups are actually doing that with mutual aid. 
Even with these two situations in place, Russia almost did have a right-wing coup, and Germany, who didn't have Soviets in place, definitely did get a right-wing coup, and we nearly did as well, as we're all showing for the Sixth Commission hearings. Lastly, the only real reason why the Bolsheviks succeeded is because the general public didn't want to show up and support either side, neither theirs or the Social Democrat Kerensky. Kerensky could barely muster any troops because he was so unpopular. It was a nation of socialists fighting to decide what kind of socialism they should have. Modern socialists only wish they could be so lucky. And our military is so well organized that unless we suddenly stop paying the troops, they're still going to be there. And then, of course, fascism is the other counterbalance to revolution that would want to fill the power vacuum if the same situation that caused the October Revolution ever came around. Forget revolutionist or accelerationist thinking. Don't put the cart before the horse. Engage in politics and election, and at the same time, direct action, such as mutual aid, or you are handing right-wing takeover to them, as they were hoping, when spreading these ideas pretending to be leftists. And coming back from a right-wing dictatorship never leads to a socialist revolution, it just leads to a lot of deaths, and finally, maybe at some point, a form of liberal democracy, if they're lucky, and it takes forever for fascist brainwashing that all socialism is evil to be wiped from the average person's mind. We are at best at the stage where Lenin was begging for the left to be engaged in representative democracy and nowhere close to having a dual power system that allowed him to say that representative democracy was the purview of the bourgeois, engage in electoral and direct action, or the fascists will happily engage, just like they did and Trump got elected and our rights are quickly getting stripped away from us so much faster than we fought hard to gain them. So as always, thank you all for watching this as a video or listening to this as a podcast, which I'm sure was completely uncontroversial to anyone, especially to the YouTube monetization team. So if you found this useful, please donate to my Patreon. Just a reminder that I'm Anubis2814 on YouTube, and I have almost 700 videos on my channel that I've made over the past 11 years on religion, science, psychology, and politics. Please go check them out, and if your site has the option, like, rate, review, and comment. A special thanks goes out to Kendall Copperberg, Mylon Mia, Ogrel, Elias Garcia Guevara, and Joe Taylor for their $10 or more Wapawet level donations. I'm always humbled by the fact that they find my work worth funding and worth driving me forward. Thank you all. Please consider donating to my work if you can, and thank you all for listening.